right. Well, then that's uh, everything is fine. Which, yeah, exactly. And uh, and that's how the show usually starts. We just kind of do this. We acknowledge that uh, this uh, show is on uh, land that was once. No, that's not what we do. (laughs) (laughs) See, I can tell already. You know, Dan, I can tell already that there's going to be some lines that Paul Romanuk, who is a very classy broadcaster. There's right. going to be some lines that Paul will not want to cross because right. he has a reputation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whereas Humble and Fred, we gave up years ago. Yeah, there's no line to uh, one. <laughs> That's right. Paul, Rome, you know, here's the thing, Paul. We're going to introduce you formally in a second or two, but you're welcome to say hi to the people who are watching now. Good morning, people. Great to see you. Look at him. Yeah. Look yeah. at you. Paul Romanek. I don't know. We're very lucky, Dan, to have Paul uh, sit in for Fred. I'm, I'm lucky to be here. Is there a behind you? There's a whole bunch of hockey sweaters. Is there a, a, a layering of some sort of oh, yeah. method? Uh, as a matter of fact, Dan, a very uh, that is a very very, very great exactly. Uh, yes, the uh, the one over my uh, this shoulder here, which will be my left shoulder, the camera right shoulder. Uh, anyway, uh, TV that guy. was a Spengler Cup jersey, and I changed the background around when the Spengler Cup was on over the holiday season to give the Spengler Cup jersey somewhat uh, degree of prominence that it normally doesn't enjoy. Now, if right. I can, I can identify. It looks like a Team Canada jersey over your right shoulder, but the uh, yeah, I'm colorblind, so I know one of those colors is yellow. Is that purple and yellow or blue and yellow? That's Team Canada 72, where right. my finger is now. Yep. Uh, and that is a Sweden uh, dark jersey. The more not uh, the more popular one is the yellow jersey with the uh, purple trim. This is okay. the opposite. And then over here is a Spengler Cup Canadian jersey. And tucked in just behind it, you can only see a bit of it, is the uh, Spengler Cup jersey for the host club Davos. Well, there you go, Dan. Wow. Now you know. Does does any of that make sense to you, Dan? Yeah, I, some of it did, yeah. All right. And now, by the way, our new policy is not to dilly-dally uh, too much before we actually uh, acknowledge our sponsors. So let's get started. This episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from the well-equipped Humble and Fred Studios in West Toronto and from our East Toronto studio. And is brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Air Ventures, and evnet.ca. And by GoDaddy. With GoDaddy, you can find your domain, easily create your website, and start selling online. GoDaddy has all the tools and support you need for your small business. Visit GoDaddy.ca to learn more. And now, here are two men who have far too many words stored up in their brainy heads that will soon burst free from whatever's going on in there, hopefully in some order that makes sense. It's Humble and guest Fred, Paul Romanuk. And if I may just jump in there, Dan, uh, he is a longtime broadcast legend. I wrote it all down. A a play-by-play icon, a runner, a golfer, a raconteur, a Beatles superfan, and host of The Walrus Was Paul, and husband, Paul Romanuk is our guest, Dan Duran. Very exciting. That's a long list. It is a long list. So, uh, yeah, I was, we were just kind of catching up before we hit record about uh, other times in our lives that Paul sat in for Fred. And, uh, and it's funny because you remember it. I somehow, for some reason, I remember Paulie hanging out with me 
on the 16th floor of uh, Young and Dundas, which is where we we were before we moved down to the street. But uh, you're you're saying that's not correct. You actually did it with us on the uh, storefront studio. I might have been up to the the upstairs studio, but my most vivid memories are of. Uh, Driving down from uh, East Toronto, where I live, parking at the Ryerson parking lot, which I don't even know if it's there anymore. Uh, walking around the corner. Oh, it's there. Actually, it's still there. It's a dispensary, though. Anyway, keep going. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and, anything, by the way, anything in Toronto that you don't know if it's still there, it's a dispensary. <laughs> dispensary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so dodging by the now dispensary, yes. once parking lot, uh, uh, over to Young and Dundas, and then just a little bit south, and coming into your storefront studio. Uh, or street front studio. That that's my biggest. And it was you, uh, Freddie, uh, Sandra Plagakis did yeah. the news a lot of times. Uh, Bingo Bob was a producer. Uh, all those uh, 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 bald headed scary, Pete. scary bald headed Pete was scary part of the cast. Pete. We had a big yeah, cast those, in those days. Yeah. You did. No, it was great. And you had, uh, there was always hot and cold running interns. So they'd, yes. uh, they'd dash off and get you a coffee or whatever. It was great. It was a great show. <laughs> I feel bad. There was a, a group of interns. I think Bob, when Bingo Bob was an intern, he often tells the story of when we were on the 16th floor and I was still smoking cigarettes. Um, one of the things I required the interns to do was come down 16 floors and smoke with me. Because I do. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that to Bob. I go, Bob, come on with me. Let's go have a smoke. And he'd be like, okay. Um, Polly, can I get you just to turn your mic up like a couple percentages? What do you think, Dan? It's a little low? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. How's that? One, two, one, two, three, no, four, fine. five. Is that yeah, better? It, you know what? Yeah, we'll fix we it in the mix. Okay, um, yeah. Speaking of the mix, my, Paul was, uh, it's funny how you were doing kind of an impression of, you know, Mix 99, that sort of standard radio do it. The, uh Hey, Mix 99, and that was Avril Lavigne's latest. And coming up next, we've got a new one from Smash Mouth. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I said this to Paul, uh, Dan. I said every time some conversation leads to uh, our, our years, the Humble and Fred mix years, Fred just has this PTSD reaction. You know, if you, if you notice that, like, and we've had lots of discussions about our time there and all the things that went awry, but... Uh, at any point in any mixed years discussion, including this week, we were talking about the people we interviewed. There's always a moment where I know when I look at Freddie, it's like, oh, here we go. It's going to it's going to turn now. I know it's coming. I know because those were sort of uh, emotional. Response oh, yeah. It's like that. a. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is a, I was saying all of this to say that this is the first time. And maybe the Hundy P's will correct me, but I can't remember. The last time, maybe it was Larry a couple years ago, Larry Fedoric, who filled in when I came back from Phoenix, Dan. But it's been a long time since we've had somebody sit in for the Fred Man and uh, couldn't be more excited to have Paul Romanuk, one of the original uh, TSN guys. And what you two don't know, what you don't know about each other, I don't think, is that you were both at TSN at the same time. Oh, really? See, look at I, I knew this was going to surprise Paul. So yeah. let, me just, let me just go through this thread because I've been thinking about it. Paul, what was the year you started at TSN? Uh, I started there as a uh, sort of freelance guy in February of 1985. So just after they'd gone on the air. Okay. So around the same time, Dan and I were still working in Calgary. Right. And um, we had a mutual friend who ran a production company in Calgary that very quickly TSN um, hired, engaged to do 
field reporting because this was before TSN had, would, would have had a person in every city. And so my friend who was in charge of this production company met Dan, thought Dan being the, you know, uh, handsome lad that he was, hired Dan around this time, Paul, to do freelance sports reporting in Calgary. And the best thing about it is Dan had no clue about any sport he was covering. <laughs> it was. Would that have been around 85 just before? Because you and I left the city around 86. 86, yeah. Right. Yeah, I was around there, 84, 85 in that area. That so, so, Dan, yeah. what were some of the sports yeah. you covered in your time at TSN Calgary? There was, well, it's mostly hockey. But, you know, whatever, we always pitched uh, ideas of, you know, some up-and-coming something or other or a golf guy coming to town or whatever. I'd, and like Howard said, Paul, I, 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 my brother knows all kinds of stuff about sports, <clears throat> and I was the kid that didn't care one bit. So every story that we ever did, it was like four hours of research for me to sit down <laughs> and right. understand anything about anything. And I, yeah, I, I was uh, I was called out most of the time. Nobody really knew. Like, uh, what was it, Scott at TSN? Scott uh, Moore. Scott Moore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we- weasel. Anyway, <laughs> wow, oh, that didn't there. take long. That was only we're only nine <laughs> minutes into the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> hey, wait till we get to the team years. Yeah. <laughs> you want to see PTSD? No, yeah. no I know. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's coming, Polly. It's coming. So, uh, and this is a true story that Dan's saying that. What were you saying? Go finish your thought about Scott Moore. Oh, no, I just, nobody ever brought it up. It was never really an issue. And, you know, it's got along with everybody there. The only time it ever came up, I think, uh, I was interviewing whoever the crotchety uh, Flames coach was, something to do with the... Would have been um, Pat Burns in the mid-80s, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably, yeah. Burns was, like, 80, somewhere in the 80s, Burns was coach, was he not? In Calgary, I don't okay, recall maybe not. him being coach in Calgary. But no. uh, Cliff, what's his face, the, who later became the general manager of the Leafs? Cliff Fletcher. Cliff yeah, Fletcher yeah. was there. Uh, yes, he was. He was. Yeah. Okay, so Dan, you were interviewing. So I some... made some some comment about one of the one of the hockey brothers, uh, and it was Sutter or Sutter. Sutter, right? Uh, Sutter, yeah. Sutter, yeah. Sutter, whatever. So I made a mistake on however I pronounced whatever name it was, and got it a little like, and then he he attacked me, firmly attacked me. <laughs> that never made it to air. <laughs> this is a true I didn't story. know a thing about what I was talking. No, about. I know. The best part, and Dan and I were roommates at the time. And by the way, we're roommates again. Dan's moved back in. It's like the odd couple, 40 years later. So at the time, uh, again, Dan was looked great on camera, was very good at that job, but knew like less than nothing. Like hard to believe. And again, I'm not, not putting you down because, you know, Dan has other attributes, Paul, that the rest of us don't have. And uh, the Hunty Peas know what I'm talking about. So um, Dan didn't have to know anything about sports because he had a big dink. That's all I'm saying, Paulie. So um, I guarantee you there's no great sports reporters that are well hung. But that's another story. So Dan didn't have to worry about sports as a kid because he had that. Dan calls me up on the way to an event. And I'm going to say, I can't remember if it was a hockey or a baseball game. <laughs> but it was kind of like this question. Hey, I'm on my way to this thing. I go, why? Yeah, what are you covering? He goes, okay, just go over it again. What's, how many periods are in the game? And I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it wasn't that, but it was kind of like that. And um, when I was thinking about Romy being on the show, I was like, he, you guys would have been working there around the same time. Now, ultimately, Paul Romana became the sports legend that he is. How long did your tenure, Dan, at TSN last? I don't know. It was probably about three years that I was doing that. 
Okay. Probably about three years that I was doing that. So it was like and right now, up until I left, probably. Now, just <clears throat> just for, uh, and this is, you know, kind of getting a little nerdy, remind me the name of the company and the guy who you were working uh, for in Calgary. Sunrise Productions, I think, yes. is the name yeah. of the company. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. rings a bell. There was one in Edmonton, and then there was one in Calgary, and they were they did that. They Because they were brand new, they hired like a local production company and said, hey, can you, you know, we have camera people, and can you get us some reporters? Uh, and I remember that era very well. But you know what, Dan? Don't feel badly in the least, not that you do, uh, <clears throat> because back in those early TSN days, even if you worked there, uh, because it was so new and their programming was to be kind, eclectic, uh, i.e. they did stuff that nobody else wanted to do, you would get sent to do, uh, you know, hey, Paul, you want to do some play-by-play? Yeah, I'd love to. What do you want? We're doing powerboat racing next weekend. <laughs> 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 and it would be like that. Okay, so the quick study in powerboat racing. Uh, it's They're fast, I can tell you that. Uh, but there was a lot of that going on. So oh, Paul was one of the originals, the OG TSN guys, and Dan. And that's funny, you, you brought up Sunrise, Dan, because I couldn't have come up with that. But So the guy that we know, and uh, I, he actually came up on the show yesterday. We used to be really good friends, this guy and I. And then he uh, broke up with Fred and I recently, last couple of years. It happens, Paul. Anyway, this guy, was at a, we were at a party, and he said to me, about you he said you know you think dan can handle this i said absolutely dan's a tv guy he'll be he'll have no problem so so you were there at the same time so paulie now to you who were some of the other tsn guys the originals that you started with people who i remember from those early days are reporters there was a guy named uh, ken chillebeck in Edmonton, oh, was right. there for, for a long, you know, Ken Chalbeck, TSN, yeah. in Edmonton. Uh, he was, uh, hey, the impersonations keep coming, uh, Howard, I know you Wow. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I had no idea we were going to have, uh, like, yeah. wait for it. <laughs> we were going to have TSN's Rich Little with us. <laughs> so there was Ken, uh, for many years in, in Edmonton, there was a guy named Michael Whalen, who was a longtime Montreal reporter, uh, <clears throat> a young woman named Lisa Bowe, who was in Winnipeg for a while, and then later Calgary? Uh, so there were some of the. They were some of the. the well, what about your Toronto people. guys? What about who was who was with you? Was was Pelly there at the start? Well, no, Pelly and I were both. Uh, Pelly's first job there was the same first job I had, which was, uh, you know, they would call them an editorial assistant. So you were essentially a newsroom gopher. Uh, and I actually moved up the food chain more quickly than Pelly, which just goes to show you. By the way, Dan, by the way, who we're talking about, Keith Pelly and Paul started off, as you just heard, around the same job uh, description. Pelly became the president of TSN and is now the commissioner of the European tour. So pretty oh. similar career paths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm sitting in my basement with hockey jerseys behind yeah. me. So. And he's, he's oh, there you and, go. and Paulie, he's playing this weekend at Wentworth. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, no, Pelly is. Uh, yeah, Pelly's done all right. Outstanding career, uh, but yeah, he was there. Um, in terms of people at TSN, you had John Wells, who was one of the original commentators. Uh, Michael Landsberg, of course, was there. Uh, there was a female reader named Terry Libel. Who was there? Hmm. Uh, so those are just some of the Jim Van Horn, of course. Yeah, yeah it's funny because um, I really John Wells was somebody that was was he sort of hired? Would he have been one of the better known type of Canadian broadcasters? Or because some of those other guys like yourself and Van Horn and 
and uh, some of the people you've mentioned, they became famous because of TSN. Yes. No, no. Uh, the, the Wellesley was, a lot of people forget this. Um, and why wouldn't you, unless you were sort of a, it, it, it involved you. But John was the sort of up and coming rising star in terms of being a host at the CBC. And his last big assignment at the CBC before he left and was hired away to go and, and be the guy for TSN when the network launched in September of 84, John co-hosted the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics mm-hmm. with, I believe, a young Brian Williams. But Wellesley wow. was the he was the up and coming guy. Uh, and looking back um, and I know that the people who started TSN were forever grateful to John for this. I mean, John walked away from you know, CBC back then, as, as you may or may not remember, for television sports in Canada. That was it. I mean, I mean that was the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Uh, how things change, but it was at the time, and Wellesley, well, John Wells was like the rising star. He was probably in his 30s, uh, coming into the prime of his on-air career, and he left and took a big chance with this network. Now, they paid him good money at the time, but still, he could have been committing career suicide, walking away to go to this pay TV sports channel that nobody thought would be around for much more than a few months. Well, a couple things uh, to comment on. Just the last thing you said, you know, we all, we're, we're all so far you know down the road now uh in terms of our broadcast choices but at the time a cable network cable in general was sorts it was such a weird concept you know cut to you know there's you know so many options now but at that time that was a pretty big move to go from broadcast television to as you say a uh an upstart cable outfit. The, the other thing you said that I laughed to myself was, you know, there was a time we were all up and coming. Now we're just, <laughs> now we're, now, now we're all just yeah. waiting around to die. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, so, yes, Paul, I was just going to ask you, was that the first time you uh, got into broadcasting was, was with TSN or were you somewhere before that? No, uh, I, I graduated uh, from Ryerson in 84 and I sort of jumped right in. I was a newsreader at a radio station. I called uh, junior hockey play-by-play play on the radio uh and i was a runner for hockey night in canada uh i was a host of a uh, the uh, uh, an ohl ontario hockey league game of the week that was on global uh, the global ontario sort of tv network so i i sort of was doing a lot of freelance stuff and then tsn was a part of that uh starting in 85 and i freelanced there for a couple of years then i moved out to calgary uh, for about seven months, and then I got hired back full time. Did you go TSN. to Calgary for TV or radio? I went there for remember Channel Two and Seven. Yeah, of course. You guys would remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was hired to be a, a sportscaster there with uh, Ed Whalen. I was going to say Ed Whalen. I was Ed just Whalen, yeah. we both Calgary know Ed Whalen, legend, man. Oh my god! One of, may he rest in peace. One yeah. of the nicest men. One of the nicest people. Not only a Calgary legend, but a legend in Canadian wrestling. And Ed Whalen was, uh, I grew up in Moose Jaw, as you know, and watching, uh, uh, what was it, a Stampede Wrestling? And Ed Whalen, I'll tell you a couple quick things. I remember watching him and his, his signature line, in the meantime, in between time. And then I, when I got to be a broadcaster in Calgary, and I was pretty well known on the radio there, and I remember, I remember meeting Ed Whalen. This might have been like 22, 23. 
and being thrilled like it was a big deal because he was such a big part of our childhood. But he was still doing when you would have gone out there. Was he still like a broadcaster, like a regular everyday guy? Oh, yeah. He, he was the six o'clock. So he was the, the big cast, the suppertime sports guy uh, on the, the local news. And he was also still doing Calgary Flames television play by play. So he was a big guy. Yeah, he was a big star in Calgary. So and, that was CFCN? Was that- yes, uh-huh. I think so. Up on the up on the hill, up on or Broadcast the, Hill. They just I could just remember their their moniker was channels two and seven, and I can't remember what the call. What, the, the, uh, they were an independent. They weren't affiliated oh, so with ITV or something. No, no, Dan. I think you're right. I think it was um, part of that broadcast. Anyway, CFAC, let's CFAC. I want to say. So Maybe you I'm came wrong. back oh. to. Uh, I'm gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna move on from Paul's uh, resume, everyone. Here in a second, right, but right. I am curious. Like, did you as a kid? Because you know, Freddie and I have talked about. You know, if he hadn't become the great Fred Patterson. Uh, sports comedy legend you know he always sort of fancied the idea of doing play-by-play and for guys like dan and i and others that became you know or disc jockeys first and then announcers and whatever i remember as a kid practicing introducing songs like i would be you know pretending i was a disc jockey on the radio did guys like you and fred pretend to do play-by-play absolutely Absolutely. I, I bet this every play-by-play announcer uh, in the business would have a version of this story. Turning down the sound and calling the game or calling what I used to do when I was very, very young. Okay, I was in my 20s. Uh, I put my <laughs> hockey card collection I put my hockey card okay, collection last down week. on a table. <laughs> no, it was last week with a bottle of scotch <laughs> crying. Exactly, right, exactly. I, I used to do this. I used to do uh, this. Go I, ahead, I, Bobby I, I, Bonds I the in the corner. The glug, 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 glug. <laughs> Uh, and slide him around and call a play-by-play, and every but every play-by-play guy, I, uh, like my my uh, my uncles and aunts who were still around, and my late parents. He's oh, he used to you know call play-by-play. On the yeah, so no one would have been. Table. Yeah, mom and dad, everybody did. Yeah, that, no one so. would have been surprised. You know, and it's funny you said that about in your twenties. And I don't know if you ever did this, Dan, because you know, as a disc jockey, you move from station to station, and and th- I did this. Pretty recently, but I did you ever do this, Dan, where you'd get hired by a station and then until you get went and worked there, I would be driving around practicing those call letters while listening to songs on the yeah, radio. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did that yeah. all the wow. time because one of the things yeah. that you didn't want to do was go like I went from a station called uh, LG 73 in Vancouver to Fox in Vancouver. And what you didn't want to do was the song end and all of a sudden go LG. So I mean, Fox because that was like a that was like a big faux pas. The, the, yeah. the only thing difference is now if I did that, I would do 15 minutes about who gives a fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, listen, I'm so excited to have uh, Romy here. And as you can tell, it's a very uh, electric moment, electric morning, I should say. Uh, Dan Duran's News will uh, join us uh, some uh, 40 or so minutes from now. We got a great guest, uh, Palsy. Uh, Noel Kassler, who's become a regular on our show. Uh, I'll explain when he uh, comes on who he is, but he's been uh, contributing for a couple of years. All you need to know about him is this. He was once a producer, among many other cool shit that he's done. He used to produce uh, f- a few seasons of The Celebrity Apprentice. So he knows what Donald Trump is really like and uh, always has some inside stuff. Good. In the meantime, uh, even though Fred's not here, let me uh, see if I can do this. Hang on. 
I need to just switch over to uh, this area. Let me just, uh, we have, uh, I'm not going to make it work too hard. And now with an, a little uh, a little bit of a sponsor support message, here's Fred. Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, Canada's number one group benefits plan for small business. Small business being, say, one to a hundred employees. If you've thought about having a benefit package for your small business, this is the way to go. To Go to chamberplan.ca, get a free quote today. It's right there. All the information you need. Uh, there's prescriptions. There's dental. Uh, there's therapies. There's the travel component that we talk about uh, so much. Uh, there's a mental health component now. An HR department. Yeah, it's all there and all affordable. They've done a great job of keeping the premiums down for small business, which is very very important, obviously. It's the Chambers Plan, Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, chamberplan.ca. And this program is also brought to you by GoDaddy. Yeah, man. GoDaddy is where you can find your domain, easily create your website, and start selling online. Uh, they have all the tools and support you need for your small business. Uh, and by the way, this... Uh, phone support. It's like you can call a person at GoDaddy. It's not some bot. You're not doing it online, chatting back and forth. Free and friendly 24-7 phone support. Uh, Finally create your website and bring it to life with GoDaddy. In fact, you don't even need a credit card to get it started. You can get it started for free. Visit GoDaddy.ca to learn more. I'm not sure if I want to uh, delve into uh, the Beatles so much today because I, I think there's a, a really long conversation about your interest in the Beatles as, you know, certainly one of my top three or four or five artists of all time. So maybe we'll save that. I got so much other stuff I want to cover with you. But um, for people who don't know, uh, Paul started a podcast, I want to say a couple of years ago now. Yep. Yep, a couple of years. And um, it's called The Walrus Was Paul or The Paul Walrus Is Paul? Yep. Which one? Uh, the Walrus Was Paul. There's, the Walrus Was Paul. For, the, for those of you watching, uh, there's there we go. There's It's cool. Your logo's cool. There it is. Um, but The Walrus Was Paul, is that, that means he used to be Paul and now he's somebody else or is he still Paul? <laughs> <laughs> As you know, Howard, uh, a, a, that's a, a oh, that's right, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Do a Beatles lyric. Another clue for you all: the Walrus was Paul from the song Glass Onion. Yeah, really. It, it's I, I think our conspiracy game as a society used to be a lot more innocent. We basically had three growing up. We had who shot JFK? Was Bigfoot real? And was Paul McCartney the real Paul McCartney? It was, seemed like a, a more innocent, sweet time. You know, versus now where JFK Jr. is running the government and that's not Biden as president. But we'll get into that. Um, I, I had this conversation with Paula yesterday about doing a podcast. And, you know, like a lot of broadcasters, um, you know, you've morphed into being a podcaster. And I'm curious about some of your impressions because we spoke on the phone yesterday about just it's not easy. It's not for everybody. No, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy doing it, uh, for it's, you know, as anybody who listens to the podcast would know it is a, it's a labor of love. And I, I like you, Howard, um, I love the craft of broadcasting. So I knew that I wanted to have something to keep me busy. Um, and 
I didn't want to do sports. I was kind of sportsed out and wanted to take a bit of a break, and I didn't want to be like every other fired sports guy. <laughs> There's a lot of us around uh, doing a, a sports podcast. Uh, so I ended up doing, well, what are my other passions? Well, I love music. Uh, I love all kinds of music, but I really love the Beatles. And so I thought I would do a podcast involving the Beatles. And then there was one, uh, and I'll shorten the story, but there was a podcast similar to mine in the UK. A guy in the UK came up with this idea. You go through a Beatles album with a guest track by track. And I thought, you know, I'll put a bit of a spin on that and I'll try to get Canadian musicians. And that'll kind of be my thing. So, so I started doing that and I really enjoy it. But, you know, spinning back to our conversation yesterday, unlike you and Fred, who've been very successful building your yeah, I can't believe it's been over 10 years building. The this is your 12. No, actually. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah how, how quickly time flies mm-hmm. and how well it's done. But, you know, unless you're really big, you're not uh, like there's I don't know how you how you make a living doing it, how you make money doing it. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm not a sales guy, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's a tough one. First of all, don't ever, don't, you don't have to, we got lots of time to fill. So take as long as you want with these stories. Um, you know, I, and I said to you on the phone, like we were really lucky, you know, I'm looking at in my studio here, there's a, a framed, uh, copy of the Toronto star entertainment section, October, I'm going to say 15th, 2011. And it was written by a guy that we knew from back when we were radio guys called Vinay Menon. And it's called the, uh, the pod couple. And at that time, it was a play on words that I don't think most people would have gotten because the word podcast was so new versus how ubiquitous it is now. And I think what happened, we just kind of lucked out. You know, we've told the story a million times, but the short version is we had a couple things fall our way. Um, Julie Adam from uh, Rogers right away heard our fourth or fifth episode and called us up and gave us all kinds of, you know, one point she gave us traffic tags on 680 News. Like, it was very generous. She had us come in on the fan every morning or every Friday morning and, and do bits. McCowan had us on. Another guy, Bill Hertz, who was the former uh, vice president of sales at Estrell, he came on board. And a bunch of things happened very in a short period of time that gave us the opportunity to make a living out of it. And as I said to you in our conversation, I don't know, man. If Fred and I were starting it now, as crowded as the landscape is... It would be, I think, a different story. I'd be. Into, I'm going to remember this to talk to him about it on Monday because I think we would. We just kind of all it all lined up, and now into our 12th year, into episode 2300 or whatever this is, um, I think it would be different. And, and in your case, you had, um, I would say, more notoriety slash fame than a lot of people starting this thing. But I thought it was a bold move, what you said about you could have done Paul Romanuk, the play-by-play guy, in your comfort zone. But, you know, one of the reasons we used to have you on in uh, the edge years, and uh, and I asked to have you on now, is because you're a broadcaster. And I thought it was a pretty bold pivot to do something on the Beatles. And I'll just finish by saying, especially as, as crowded a landscape as that is. Like you could have picked a lot, a lot, a lot of different yeah. bands that people weren't doing podcasts about already. Forget the guy yeah. in, uh, in whoever was Australia, New Zealand. I'll, I, I bet you of the categories of, of music podcasts, that's a pretty crowded space. 
Yes, it is. And I'll take questions a, now. <laughs> no, well, I mean, without a doubt, it's a crowded space. I mean, yeah, it's, man. They're, they're the biggest band in the history of pop music. Yeah. Uh, whether you like them or not, that fact is indisputable. Whatever metric you want to use to measure it, whether it's, uh, you know, sales, ongoing sales of records, general notoriety. But so... In one sense, if you're going to do a podcast, like fish where the fish are, right? There are, there are going to be people interested in that topic. If I did a podcast on, uh, and I'll just pull a, a name out of the air, if I did a podcast on the tragically hip, you want to know who to listen to that? There'd be a few people in Canada. Zip. That's it. Uh, you do a podcast on the Beatles. I have listeners in Great Britain. I have listeners in the United States. I have listeners in Sweden. I have listeners in New Zealand. I have listeners all over the world. Um, so, you know, I guess that's counterintuitive. It's a very crowded landscape. However, uh, it's it's a topic that a lot of people are very interested. No, that's in. a really good point too. That it's if you're if it's a searchable, you know, anyone a, a lot wider net, like you say, fish where the fish are. There's a lot more people going on looking. At looking for Beatles podcasts, and I like that you took a, a again whether it was this guy's idea, but your twist on it to have musicians from our country and their impressions of the uh, of the of the thing. How let's and again we're going to talk Beatles uh, in another segment. I think because there's lots of stuff I want to go over with you. Although I have a little a little surprise for you when uh, Noel Castler joins us mm-hmm. because he's had this guy besides being a um, producer on The Apprentice. He's worked in New York television for 25, 30 years. He also worked on the road with a lot of bands, Jackson Brown, Bruce Springsteen. He's produced the MTV Music Awards, and he's met one of your Fab Four. He's met one of the Beatles. He's met one of the Beatles, and and he's such a sweet man, and he'll uh, get him to tell his Paul McCartney story. Oh. Anyway, um, I'm hoping it's him, because I just built it up like he is going to have a great story. If he doesn't, I'll just fucking make it up. Um, (laughs) But uh, I want to talk about the the business of podcasting with you. So, what is your? How many have you done? Um, twenty five, thirty. I'm in the third. I'm into the third series, and and each series has how many episodes? Uh, it depends how many I want to do. So the <laughs> the first series, I, off the top of my head, had about fifteen. I think the second one had uh, twenty two, twenty three, something like that. And and um, so. Because, you know, like, you know, we started off doing this again, as we've said many times, we started off doing a podcast because we hadn't done a radio show together in four or five years at that point. So we're, we're reuniting the band and we thought, OK, we'll do this little Internet radio show until someone gives us a real job. And then this turned into our real job. But we do our show for at one point doing it five times a week. What's the uh, thinking in your case to do it just sort of sparingly? And secondly, how long does each episode take for you to record, produce? Like, what? What is it? It's a good. It's a good amount of time, I imagine. It's a good amount of time. Yeah, and I am. You know, I am. I'm it. I'm the. I'm the uh, the, the talent director, uh, the researcher, the uh, host, the editor, the ev- publicist. Everything. I I do everything. Uh, so that's fine, as many podcasters do. But I would say each episode takes. Got to be three or four hours of research because I I research whatever album we're going to talk about. And then you have to research the guest. 
So you can ask them if you've listened to the podcast and you should, uh, then I will also ask them about their music because that's, that's the deal. They're coming on. They're giving you your time. So of course, in, in fairness, you want to promote whatever it is that they're up to. So in order to ask intelligent questions, you've got to listen to, if you haven't already, you've got to listen to some of their music. You want to know what they're up to. So there's a lot of research. So I'd say about four hours. The interviews generally take anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours. And then the editing probably takes another couple of hours. So I'll, I'll do an episode. What I wanted to do uh, when I started, uh, Howard, uh, because, you know, I recognize the value of consistency because we're both old school broadcasters. You know, you deliver the same thing and you deliver it reliably. And that's how you build an audience. Uh, and when I initially started, I tried to have a backlog of podcasts already done and I drop one every week. But I quickly realized that was just going to be too much work. So now uh, I come out with one every couple of weeks. So the, the first episode of Series 3 came out last week. Uh, I'll let a week go by and then uh, I'll probably drop the second episode of the series next week. It's just a much more manageable thing for me. And of course, the cool thing about a podcast like mine, unlike yours, which is a little different, uh, is... You know, I, I can basically do whatever the hell I want. If one doesn't come out until three weeks, what? Somebody going to fire me? Like, doesn't really matter. Uh, but I, that said, I do try to be consistent. Well, the reason I ask, again, it's fascinating because everyone does this differently. I mean, in reality, we call this a podcast, but it's just sort of Freddie and I doing a radio show that we record and, you know, we shoot it out live on Facebook for those people who want the live experience. And a lot of people do. I, I don't know what our Facebook numbers are, but they're very they're infinitesimal compared to the actual numbers of people that download the show. But, you know, that's what you're doing is, a, I think, a true podcast in that it's a like, you, you know, you just talked about all this research and I was thinking, yeah, we do similar for our show. Like, uh, you know, a couple of minutes before the show, I said to Freddie, what do you want to talk about? And then we do the show in actual fact, you know, like I did more research. I wouldn't call it research. I just wrote, I wanted to write down some stuff that I think about when I think of you and our history together and, and what you've done. So I would do more of that because I wanted to make sure there was, you know, lots of stuff I would know off the top of my head, but I wanted to remember. But your situation is it's like a real podcast. It's like, you know, edit, you know, you've edited it together. It's got production. And as you say, you're doing all that yourself. The only thing I would say is, you know, if you could get that process down, not that you've asked for my advice, but I'm going to give it to you. If you can get that pro that process truncated slightly to just produce a few more episodes, because, you know, people are like, you know, I know that Smartless comes out, you know, every Monday. Uh, so I'm aware of it. I know that this other golf podcast that I like comes out on Thursdays and Lumbee's show comes out Fridays. So with yours, there's no impetus to do it regularly. But if people like it, you know, and they, they, they want more of it. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe if you get that process down, so you're doing, you know, 20 shows a year versus, you know, just a few. But hey, listen, as you said to me yesterday, no one's paying you to do this. And uh, and you love doing it. Well, that's the other thing I was going to talk to you about. Like it's, you know, I've lost track of the ex broadcasters. And by the way, props to you, as the kids say, or they used to when I was a kid. But, you know, a lot, not not very many people get past the first three or four episodes. I've lost track of the number of names and I could give you some big names too that came through our studios in the old place and in this area. 
Um, we moved here in 2016, and there were still guys we would offer the studio to and say, hey, if you want our facilities, we'd be more than happy to help you get started. And a couple of them tried. Three, four comedians as well. I, I was doing lots of stand-up at the time and working at Yuck Yucks again like I am. And I'd say, hey, if you want the facilities, I'll give you a fill. And, and everyone can come up with three or four episodes. And then they find out how tough it is. And then they don't want to do it anymore because broadcasters are the worst I've found. Because they're so, we're so used to having other people do stuff for us. Uh, you know, all those things you describe, you know, that's all the things we do. Yeah, we have a producer, but, you know, we do this show basically ourselves. I'm sales. He's accounting. You know, we have a small agency we work with now, but that came pretty late. You know, we've only been doing that for a couple of years. So kudos to you because a lot, not a lot of guys hang in like you have. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's very kind. Uh, I, I do enjoy it. Like, I, 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 I need to be doing some type of broadcasting for my mental health uh, because I love the craft of broadcasting. I, I'd love to be and don't think I haven't tried to be, uh, you know, on a, a regular radio show type gig doing broadcasting, but that hasn't happened. So I'm perfectly happy doing what I am. But just in terms of the research, Humble, I think I was really lucky um, because Unlike, you know, the United States, which is, you know, much bigger if you're a sportscaster. But in Canada, if you're a play-by-play announcer, uh, even at the level I was at, I was, you know, Hockey Night in Canada is the biggest show you can do if you were a play-by-play announcer in Canada because hockey is the number one sport. So that's what every guy or gal strapping on a headset to call play-by-play would aspire to. And I was there. Uh, You do all of your own research. Uh, you do have guys you can call right at the end, the last few years when I was doing it for Hockey Night, I could, you know, I, I had the call a friend guys to look something up for me that was really intricate. But 99% of the research and the prep that I would do for every game, I did myself. So that was, as it turns out, that was good discipline and good experience for doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, and there's another thing I wrote down that I wanted to talk about. And, and we sort of touched on it earlier about you practicing play by play. And then, of course, you know, in recent, you know, without a gig now, it's just, you know, after you've had a couple of drinks, you come downstairs and you go, ah, fuck it. Sunday in the corner. Um, but I, I want to talk later because I, I think we're going to run up against Noel here in a couple of minutes. But I, I want to talk about the the nuts and bolts of play by play. I'm fascinated by it. But and maybe we can do that a little bit later or tomorrow, because I think a lot of us would be especially fans that have heard you and how how fine you are at it. You're very, very good at it. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the behind the scenes and you just touched on you doing your own research. But before we get into that, and I want to get you all on a bitter train here. But why is why are there no jobs for a guy with your experience? Life circumstance. Um, like, would you, you know, leave Toronto to go? No, you wouldn't. So, well, so you know, there probably might, there might be a, a job somewhere outside of this city, but you won't leave the city. No, no. There, there were there were a couple of opportunities that came up uh, that I think I would have had a pretty good 
chance at uh, at realizing uh, after I was let go from uh, Rogers. Um, but they involved moving. And just at the stage of life that I'm at, I have a, a wife who's got a really good job. She left a really good job uh, for us to move back here f- from the UK. If people don't know that, we were living overseas. She had a very good career and a great job. She left that job to come back here so that I could take what was my, my career aspiration job of working for Hockey night in Canada. Uh, she's gotten another good job here in Toronto. And and I'm, I was when I was let go, I was in my late 50s. There was just no way I was going to pick up and move to another city again, have her leave another job like just no life circumstances. Sure, not, well, so that's, that's that, that answers my question. And, and just for clarification. So and, we, and again, this is another thing I wrote down. I want to talk about because my buddy Lumby moved to France a couple of years ago. And we have weekly, bi-weekly or whatever, um, Zoom chats about living in a foreign country. And I went to visit him last fall. And it's fascinating. I want to talk about that because you lived in the UK for like 10 years. Yeah. And, and then, okay, Noel's about to sign on here. So we'll talk. I want to talk a little bit about what you did. What was your last gig at Hockey Night in Canada? Why it ended? And then uh, we can talk some play-by-play stuff. But let me just get Noel here. You're going to love this guy. He is a uh, really smart uh, dude, also a uh, stand-up comedian, uh, as I mentioned, a producer. And um, somewhere along the way, I I think it was him and I, Noel and I connected on uh, Twitter, and I asked him, hey, would you... uh, would you come on our show? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And then he's become one of Canada's most popular guests on uh, one of Canada's most popular podcasts. Formerly a producer of The Celebrity Apprentice, has firsthand knowledge that Donald Trump is an Adderall-chewing, pants-shitting, <laughs> N-word-saying, fill-in-the-blanks. He's Noel Kassler, Paul. No, I'd like you to meet my friend and play-by-play legend in Canada, Paul Romanuk. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you. Pleasure, Noel. Thanks for playing me in with the hip. I know. I gotta love it. I know you do. You're one of the few Americans that can identify the hip in a... Uh, Hey, hey, and uh, I just want to let you know, like Paul Romanuk uh, has been a friend of our show, has guest fretted for uh, years. Uh, as you can see, Freddie's not here. He's on his way to, to the Dominican Republic. But uh, Paul uh, literally was the one of the play-by-play guys on Hockey Night in Canada, wow. which for context would be like, I don't know, is there like being like on the NFL or? Uh... Yeah, that's Paul. What would I get be? it. That's impressive, man. That's impressive. Nice to meet you, Paul. Nice to meet you, Noel. I've, 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 I'm loving your resume. I got some of the back. I'll, I'll let I'll let Howard get there, but it's a story I'm dying to hear. Well, here's the thing, uh, Noli. Before we get to uh, you know our all stuff uh, GOP and that freaking nonsense, and I want to talk to you about the speaker thing and everything. But you know, sometimes we'll be talking to Noel Paul, and all of a sudden he'll just drop the fact that oh yeah, I, uh, yeah I met Springsteen. I was producing the MTV. I'm like, what? You did what? <laughs> he's like, and then he'll go off and tell us a story, and, and he's very humble about it. Unlike what I would be like, I would literally walk into the room and go, hey, I met McCartney. But uh, <laughs> Paul is uh, also a podcaster now, Noel, and he does a show called uh, a podcast called The uh, The Walrus Was Paul. It's a Beatles centric podcast, which you would love. And I, I teased him a little bit. I said, I think, Noel, if I'm not mistaken, have you not met McCartney? Oh, yeah. Many, many times. Many times. Wow. So give us a couple of the, why would you know him? And, and Paul, just sit back and love this. 
Paul's the best. Paul's the nicest guy. We live in the same neighborhood in Manhattan. His guitar player, Brian Brian Ray, is a good friend of mine. Can I just give you one story, though, along the lines? Give me a bunch of stories, yeah. Because I'm looking at all those hockey jerseys behind Paul, and you mentioned Springsteen. And, you know, in America, we love hockey, not quite to the extent you do in Canada. But I was working for Springsteen in June and July of 2000. He was doing like 10 shows at Madison Square Garden. And during that time, the New Jersey Devils won the Stanley Cup. So one night I'm backstage with my other production you know, guy. And he's like, hey, you know what's in the next room? I'm like, what? He's like, the Stanley Cup. They brought it backstage to the gig and they had these two dudes that were guarding it. So we go in this room and the guys are like, you want to kiss it? You can kiss it. It's good (laughs) luck. You know, so I end up kissing the thing. And all I could think of is like, I'm not worthy of this moment. (laughs) You know what I mean? Hey, aren't those the guys, Romanuk, that uh, when they when they uh, the guys that go with the cup, they, they brought it into some studios I've been in and they all wear those white gloves. Yeah, right. Which I, yeah. I think, okay, it's a, it's a, you know what always makes me laugh about that is those guys that walk around or they guard the cup, they're wearing white gloves and they're dressed in a certain way. Meanwhile, the players are like drinking out of it, taking a whiz in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. what, what was the first exactly. time, um, Noel, what was the first time, and give us the circumstances that you met Paul McCartney? So the first time was in that same building, Madison Square Garden. There's a smaller theater called the Paramount Theater, Felt Forum, within that building. I was doing a show for VH1 called VH1 Fashion Rocks. And Stella McCartney was being honored on the show. And I was kind of like a, you know, like a stage manager. You know, my job was to move talent around. And Dick Clark was the producer. And it was live. We were like live to tape. And I had to take um, James Brown. I had to take James Brown across the stage outside to where we had a trailer on the street in New York City. So I'm cutting across the stage in a commercial break and James stops and he's talking to somebody and I'm kind of short and he's in front of me. He's got these epaulets on, you know, he's got his whole <laughs> outfit. I can't see who he's talking to. And I'm like, James, we got to go. We got to go. And finally, another stage manager hits me on the shoulder and goes, no, let him talk for a minute. Do you see who he's talking to? And I pop around and it's Paul McCartney. And he just sticks out his hand. He goes, hi, I'm Paul. And just shakes my hand. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to thank James, Paul. Nice to meet you. You know, because Dick Clark's like, we're coming back in two minutes. Yeah, yeah. So I take James and we go outside. And if you know New York City, Penn Station is underneath Madison Square Garden, right? So I happen to walk outside with James Brown at the exact moment that all these people are coming up the escalator from the trains. You know, it's like rush hour or something. So all these people are coming out. They see James Brown. They go, hey, it's Little Richard. Hey, Little Richard. <laughs> and, they, and he starts waving to him and goes, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And we keep walking. And I go... I can't believe, you know, you did that. I can't believe you did that. He goes, hey, to them, I'm just another famous N-word. Wow. And I, it was such an insight. Like, he just said it to me sardonically. He's like, hey, just, the, and he didn't say N-word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? but, yeah that was before so the that end. Was the that was the first was, time was, I met Paul. Was, I worked for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So, like, you know, Graham Nash is very close. I'm very close with him. He grew up with Paul McCartney. They've known each other since they were. So, 16. have you have you had a? So, there, that's your first uh, uh, Roman. That's your first encounter. But give give me a what, what kind of guy is he like? And and, and what how other than just the, that was your first time just shaking his hand. What kind of um, time have you spent? Like, have you ever had a chance to actually talk to the guy? 
Oh, yeah, we did. A, we opened for them in London. We played a big concert in Hyde Park where Paul McCartney was the main act. It was Elvis Costello, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Paul McCartney. He's a regular guy. Like he had a party afterwards. We all went to the party and everything. You know, he's a vegetarian. He, he, he's like, you know, the, I, that's the one thing I remember is like there was no meat or anything, you know, at the party. He's very normal. Last time I talked to him, we were in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he was like, how's Graham doing? Say hi to Graham. You know, how's it going? My partner, my girlfriend sees him jogging all the time in New York City. Wow. Jog- I won't say exactly where he lives, but he'll jog on the sidewalk because I guess he'd get recognized in the park. So she'll just be like, oh, I saw Paul McCartney jog by me. It's like, yeah, no big deal. Wow. I know where he eats lunch. Stephen Stills is another guy I worked with, and we'd be in New York City, be like, "Hey, I saw Macca today." They all call him Macca, you know. That's he's funny, a man. thoughtful, nice guy. Uh, if you want some real insight, Paul McCartney and Graham Nash are exactly the same kind of person, and I have a theory as to why. These guys grew up poor. Like, if it wasn't for rock and roll music, they would have been working in a mine, you know, or a factory in Manchester or Liverpool, where Paul obviously grew up. So they knew how lucky they were, you know, and these guys were on the first wave of rock and roll, obviously, and they never lost it. They never lost the gratitude for being a performer. I've been around everybody. I worked with Michael Jackson, Madonna. I've seen people clear out a building just so they could walk to their dressing room. Mm-hmm. and They didn't want anybody looking at right. Paul and Graham will walk in and the first security guard they see, they'll walk up to and say, hi, my name is Paul. How are you doing today? I, I love mean, that. That's not hyperbole. <laughs> that's who the dude is. I was going to say, person. no, I, I love that level of fame where you're so famous that you don't have to be a dick about it. And in my experience over years of interviewing celebrities, um, and I know about you, Roman, it it almost seems like this. The most, the more famous people I've met, they tend to be nice about it. It's the ones kind of just coming up. And, and Paula, um, in sports, I think it's very similar. Like sometimes uh, a rookie in, in the NHL or, you know, or a rookie athlete can be kind of a dick. But when you finally get to superstar, uh, stage, you kind of settle down, eh, Paul? I, I would say, yeah. If speaking in very general terms, I mean, some of the biggest, uh, <clears throat> some of the biggest sports stars who I've who I've interviewed, obviously a little hockey heavy, but <clears throat> I, I think the phrase I would use is they're just more comfortable in their own skin. Right. Uh, Wayne Gretzky has been famous for a long, long time. Right. He's he's completely now comfortable with the fact that people recognize him on the street people recognize him in restaurants uh you know it's he's and he's he's good with it he's been asked <clears throat> every question you could possibly ask him uh so he's very rehearsed and comfortable in interviews the younger guys are a little bit more guarded i would say yeah well you know it's funny you say that because young tiger was a horrible interview through most of his career he was guarded and suspicious but this version of tiger now in his late 40s He's a much more comfortable human being because, as you say, he's just more comfortable. He's been famous forever. You know, I just want to point out, too, Noel, like you've told us before, but, you know, I'm old. So remind me, like, your job, and we're going to get to The Apprentice in a second because Romanuk and I want to feast on that bone for a bit. But but you were a producer. You worked on uh, you worked on tours as a what? As a production manager? What was your I job? I was a road manager for bands. And so what does Crosby that mean? Still- 
that means you're you're in charge of the talent. You're the guy who's dealing. You're on the tour bus with the artist. You're checking them into the hotel. You're getting them backstage. You're making sure the catering's in the dressing room. You're handling the guest list and stuff. And then there's like a tour manager above you, which I've been as well. I prefer road manager because there's less like accounting involved. Okay. Tour manager like is your job is, your, is your job to get the the groupies? Is that was that one of your jobs or did that did that not exist? in that time. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I did that. Come on. <laughs> Handing out backstage passes and stuff. I won't say the artists I've done that for, but yeah, I'm the guy who carries the drugs and gets you the girls, you know? Wow. <laughs> kind of. That's a little bit of hyperbole, but in TV, more specifically, I, I was actually a talent logistics coordinator, so my job is behind the scenes, making sure everybody is in the right place. Those guys you just mentioned, you know, Wayne Gretzky and Tiger Woods, I did a big show at the Garden with them in, in 99, and it was the 20th century's greatest sports heroes. And we had Pele, who just passed away, and, you know, Muhammad Ali. You know, my job is the guy running around in all that chaos, making sure, you know, Tiger Woods is, is stage left at item number five. That kind of all the the, so, the logistics. It sounds simple, but it's very complicated. A- absolutely, because I've seen that job. I, you know, I've been backstage at enough things and on enough productions. But it, it doesn't. And this, I'll ask us on behalf of people listening: Does the novelty ever wear off? And I, what I mean by that is, you know, like both of all three of us, I've been around a lot of people, famous people being interviewed on in my studio for a long time. In fact, yesterday, one of the topics on the show is who is one of our favorite guests. And we were, you know, reeling off Janet Jackson, you know, Chris Martin from Coldplay, etc. But but it's different when you're doing it in this, you know, sort of forum versus actually hanging out on the road with Crosby, Stills and Nash. And mm-hmm. in your life, did, did, it, did it ever did you kind of just become commonplace like, oh, I'm so bored with this now? Or was it always kind of cool it was always cool you know because i was a fan i wanted to be in that world you know like for example i did the super bowl halftime show for almost 15 years that never got old Mm -hmm. i would be on the field and i would turn into a 10 year old boy and my thing is you know people coming up in that business would say to me often i don't care if someone's famous i treat everybody like they're everybody else and I'd say, this ain't the gig for you then, okay? Because there's got to be a part of you that understands what's happening here and wants to be here. Because in my opinion, I loved hanging out with Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I loved Jackson Brown, who I toured with, Springsteen, you know, the Stones, all my heroes. But I took it as like, this is my role in something I love very much. And I don't even work for the artist. I work for that audience. You know, my job is to make sure the audience is in the or the artist is in the best shape they can be to kick ass for the fans. Because somebody's going to be out there and it's going to be their first concert. They're going to get inspired. They're going to be the next Paul McCartney. They're going to make this world a better place. And, and that's what I always felt like I was serving something bigger than myself. And if you tap into that, you'll never get tired. You'll mm-hmm. never get bored. Interesting. You know, it's funny because I, I it's been a while since. I interviewed somebody where I was so starstruck. And I've said this on the show a bunch of times that after all these years, if I could, and this is because I loved him as a kid, is uh, even though he kind of went a little Trumpy there for a bit, is if Bobby Orr walked into this studio, I don't know, I would be a bit much for me because that goes back to being a seven-year-old. Like, you know, over the years, you know, and I, I was going to bring up Dave Grohl, who I've interviewed, and you've got a picture of you and him on a on your Twitter feed. But but there's, is so my point is, and I'll give this to both of you, who would it be for you, Paul, 
that after all these years, you would be super, would be either thrilled or a little bit nervous or excited to interview? Well, there <clears throat> certainly uh, on the music side, there'd be a couple of people. Uh, one would be Paul McCartney, of course. Uh, I've I've never met or I've been in the same room as Paul McCartney, but I've never met the man, never shook his hand. The other, uh, because of the podcast I do, uh, I would, and I doubt it'll ever happen. I would love to interview Joni Mitchell uh, because I just think, in terms of Canadian singer song writers she is absolutely iconic yeah. and i think it would be fascinating to talk to her Noel paul's podcast as he uh, takes a uh, canadian musicians come on the sh- on his show and then they go through uh beetle albums and they talk about the canadian musician it's a really good job I'm, I'm gonna send you a link later uh what about you Noel? after all these years is there somebody that you would get all like excited or nervous to me yeah i would freak out if it was radiohead to be honest with you really? i don't think i could yeah, I think Radiohead would freak me out because that's currently one of my favorite bands. I never got used to Springsteen, and I've done dozens and dozens, you know, inaugurations with Springsteen, Super Bowls, concerts. To me, he's always the boss. And the first time I was hired to work for him was in that same show I was talking about, and I, I made a plan. I was like, I'm not going to meet Bruce on the first day. I'm going <laughs> to wait till a few days into the gig, and then we're going to hit it off, and he's going to invite me over to play guitar. <laughs> You know, I had it all in my head how Bruce was going to become my best friend, you know, and I'm standing backstage in a hallway and the bass player Gary Talent comes out of a dressing room and asks me for a lemonade or something. And I go get it for him and I'm, I'm complimenting Gary on his bass playing. Right. Right. And Springsteen obviously hears this and it piques his interest. So he sticks his head out of his dressing room, which is next door. He's eating a tuna fish sandwich sideways. I turn around. He's standing in front of me and he goes, hey, man, how you doing? And I go, hello, sir. And I turn (laughs) and I run in the other direction. Just run away. Hello, sir. And ran away. Great. Great. First impression. Hello, sir. Yeah. Um, I'll Hello, tell you, I've went back and I uh, went back or I've gone back now and uh, re-listened to the uh, Springsteen Stern interview. It's just fantastic. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of both Howard at his best and Springsteen, I think, in a way like I, I've always liked. I've not been a super fan, but I think I appreciate Springsteen more now having listened to that interview. And mainly what you just said about he's just such a sort of normal, genuine guy. Go ahead. Well, along those lines, I watched that, too. It's an incredible interview. The Springsteen that I sort of know from a distance, that's the man. He really showed you who he was. And the weirdest thing I observed about Springsteen is like there's two Springsteens. There's the guy who hangs out backstage who's a pretty neurotic, writerly guy. And then who you see on stage is a character. Mm -hmm. And I remember one year we were doing a thing at Carnegie Hall with Sting. It was like a Christmas show. And I spent the whole day with Bruce like – Outside of his dressing room, you know, we're hanging out in this pretty small area. He's reading a book all day, just meek and mild. And I finally bring him to the back of the Carnegie Hall, you know, the audience house. And he's going to make this big entrance through the crowd where he's talking like Santa Claus and all this stuff. And I'm standing there with him and my job is to cue him. And it's like the countdown, like a minute before. And I'm looking at him 
And I'm like, how is this guy going to perform? This dude hasn't said one word all day. He's totally meek, totally neurotic, and he's just looking at his shoes. And I go, all right, Bruce, it's go time. And all of a sudden, he was like, ho, 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 New Jersey's <laughs> finest. And it was like, holy shit. Like, it was a complete transformation, a performance. That's so know? cool. Like, all of a sudden, there's Bruce Springsteen. Right. So, as, right. I, men- as I mentioned to uh, Paul, and both of us are interested, uh, as you are, in politics, and Paul's been a... Uh, you know, as a, uh, as I would say in Canada, both, well, I'm more of a, I guess I'm centrist. I'm, I'm more liberal than Fred and Paul is more liberal than me, but still we're on the same page. And Noel is, as uh, Americans go, a communist. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, because he believes in, you know why? Cause I say that jokingly, but he, because Noel is like a lot of normal people believes that everyone should benefit in a society. And one of the reasons I, glommed on to Noel initially a couple of years ago, and it's been a couple of years now, is um, I follow him on Twitter, and both of us have similar opinions about American politics. And from the first time you came on the show and gave us all this insight about the Celebrity Apprentice and what kind of a douchebag Trump is, it's been great getting your insights. So all those uh, that talk about music aside and all the names you can mention, What's happened in your career, I've really enjoyed watching the, the evolution of what's have gone on because what's happened, Romy, is that Noel's gone from a, a Twitter guy to a, you're part of this sort of liberal, I don't even know what you want to call it, a cabal of reporters or social influencers. Maybe just sort of bring us up to date on that. Recently went to the White House and how you've morphed into a social commentator of sorts for, you know, I was going to say the left, but really for anything with right thinking human beings. Yeah, right. Because there's so much bounty potentially in this country. It's like at a at a barbecue this big, everybody should get a plate. Right. You know, that that's my theory. And and I spoke out along those lines because it's you know, it's 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 not set up justly our society anymore. And it, it took note. The White House took notice of it, which was crazy. And I got invited to the White House, Paul, in October and I got all wow. these briefings and stuff. It was off the record. But, you know, it was the same sort of thing that a journalist would get. Like, here's what we're doing. Here's the economic numbers. Here's the environmental stuff. And I think they realized, you know, that. Twitter and and online media is media now, right? Mm -hmm. It's how a lot of people get their information. And and like I said earlier, you know, I sort of had my cool career behind the scenes. What I do now as a comedian and a a sort of advocate, I guess, is just because I do believe it's the right thing. You know, you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, I've had a good... I've had a good run and had a good opportunities and I see less opportunities for my fellow Americans in the future, not more. And that's sort of the thing I want to speak on. But you, you take know? a look, you, you, I've, I've seen some of the comments like, you know, Noel is one of the people I do follow, as I say, and uh, you get some shit from uh, the MAGA crowd. Do you oh. think it's gotten worse for you since the uh, Elon Musk took over? A hundred percent. Explain. How so? Because he changed it. He, you know, he sort of changed the algorithm, right? And he allowed so many right-wing voices back onto Twitter that it became exhausting, which I think was the design. You know, I think it was a little more nefarious because Twitter is how you'd hear about Ukraine, right? And in Ukraine, you had 50 people murdered in a building over the weekend. They bombed a building full of kids, you know? And normally a year ago, that would have been trending on Twitter. And this time you barely hear about it because Elon has allowed so much chaos 
back into Twitter that you frankly get exhausted, you know, and and like I said about the White House stuff, a lot of those a few of those folks follow me now from the White House, which was also like it makes you think, right? You're like, oh, can I just curse this guy out? And they're basically like, yeah, curse him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's why we have you guys on social media doing this stuff. But it, it's definitely become exhausting and caustic. And I'll shut up. But the other thing is all the cool people that were on Twitter have kind of left besides us, right? Besides the company before us. But what I liked about Twitter was like Patricia Arquette you know, or Valerie Bertinelli, some random celebrity interact, interacting with me and others always made it cool. And once Elon took over, like my buddy Kathy Griffin basically left, you know, it just became, you know, it became. Yeah, it's de- like I, I, would, I would agree with you. It's definitely changed. Paulie, did you want to ask uh, Mr. Kassler a question? No, I, I, I completely agree with what he's saying. I think <clears throat> I don't just think it's the United States. I think it's endemic. Uh, that type of lack of mobility uh, in the Western world. Uh, if you want to look at the UK and, uh, you know, the travesty that was Brexit because of lies that were told the people there by the likes of Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and Nigel Farage and so on, who also have links to the extreme right. Nigel Farage does in the United States. And it's it's just, yeah, they're allowed to perpetuate this myth that uh, you know, if, if you work hard, uh, that you're going to get ahead and, and you're going to get uh, your share of the pie or to you. Knowles analogy, you're going to get a plate at the barbecue. And the reality is, and this isn't just an opinion, this is just look at the numbers. The, you know, while salaries of the richest people, CEOs and so on, have gone up whatever it is 200 times for the guy who's working, who's driving an Uber, who's working in a restaurant, uh, their salary has actually gone down over the last 25 years. Well, let me um, just get – it's funny. I'm going to pull this out. I, I just saw this uh, as doing a little pr- preparation for the show. I know you'll find that hard to believe. But listen to this. Uh, $26 trillion U.S. dollars, that's the world, that's the amount the world's top 1% accrued in wealth over the past two years, uh, thanks to the pandemic era wealth accumulation. For comparison, the bottom 99% of the world gained 16 trillion. So that means that 1% did 10 trillion dollars better than the rest of us. And that's why I was sort of jokingly saying that Noel in the States would be a communist, because wanting well for everyone in America is seen as communism. And I've said this to you before, Noel, and Paul, here's my opinion. The irony of the GOP is this for me. The people that are most affected by their by their policies, by, by their not endorsing health care, by, by, by the IRS, all that stuff. Those are the ones most of those are the poorest people in the states. And the irony is if they would do so much better supporting Democrats as as for their own health and welfare. And that is sort of the the big that's the big lie of the U.S. But, but Howard, that's that's the big lie of that's the great card trick of the right all over the Western I, I, world. Agreed. To, to, to convince those people that, hey, you know, I mean, it's 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 through the looking glass bizarre that the Conservative Party of Canada or the Conservative Party of the United Kingdom can say, well, we're the Workers' Party. Right, exactly. No, you're not. Well, no, I mean, a great example, a great example of that is they all voted against, this is the GOP, all voted against the stimulus bill. All hated it, we're, you know, don't want to support it. Yet they all went back to their little bug-tussle fucking towns and said, see what we've done for you? That's the part I don't understand, Noel. And the other thing I wanted to mention, too, because you brought up Putin. 
and I and we've talked about this before, uh, Noel. I just don't get how and I and you mentioned this on your uh, Twitter feed this the last couple of days um, about that uh, bombing in the Ukraine. How is it possible that the right wing in the states is on Putin's side? I just I still don't get it. Yeah. yeah. What yeah, is that, Paul? That's a tough one to explain because they've been manipulated, right? It's the same forces, you know. Putin basically represents outside wealth and greed, you know, outsized wealth, right? He gave all the money to the oligarchs. Everybody else suffered. That was sort of the framework that Jared Kushner and Trump wanted for the U.S. Like, we'll be in charge. The people we handpick to benefit will we'll, we'll get the most money from the resources, a kleptocracy like Putin has, and everybody else will be screwed, but we'll keep them happy, you know, with with the sort of like, you know, bread and circus approach of here's a flag and a monster truck and an AR-15, <laughs> you know, go be free. Like you said, with those economic numbers, once once the 1% gets so wealthy, the rest of the folks can't ever catch up. That's right. right? Like, I'm, I'm not a complete communist. People should always be rich, you know. Bill Gates should be rich. Elvis should have been rich. You know, there's certain people, but but there should be a, a median baseline. And if you look at our country during Eisenhower, right in the 50s, which people often refer to as a bountiful time, the 50s and the early 60s, you had almost a 70 percent tax rate on the wealthiest Americans. Yet middle class Americans had two cars in the garage, mm-hmm. three kids who went to college and a house they owned. Right. Because there was a minimum. Right. Factories had to give you health care and 30 35 bucks an hour to work there and you could build a life and nobody got exorbitantly rich right. and everybody had a, you know, a shot at a decent life. And then that changed with Reagan in the 80s and they moved all the corporations overseas and it all became about the boardroom and Wall Street. And that ground people up that used you know, the middle class as just like cannon fodder for an outsized capitalism. And now that's a global threat, as Paul so well said. Okay. You know, it's all over the world. It's the same movement. Well, listen, man, it's always great catch up. Before I let you go, there's just a couple quick things. Um, you know, Freddie and I talked about this last week and, you know, in our little pre-show get together, Fred comes on and he goes, well, it's a, it was a bad day yesterday for, uh, for, I know he said how he put it was, it was a great day yesterday for Trump. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, they found these documents with Biden. And then of course I'm like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. But here I, I read this this morning that I think sums up the difference between the Biden documents and the Trump documents. This is somebody that tweeted, imagine if two people borrowed library books and didn't return them. One forgot about the book, finds it a couple years later, and then immediately gives it back. The other person knowingly takes the book, refuses to give it back when the library sent a request after request for it, and then eventually wants to burn the fucking library to the ground. So that, that is the difference. But my question to you as a White House insider now, do you think that that Biden is going to be able to survive this or will he just get washed into this whole other investigation now that the, uh, you know, the McCarthy led uh, Republicans are in charge of Congress. I, I think he will survive it because the work he's doing, he sort of has his nose to the grindstone and the number, we had great jobs numbers on yeah, Friday. Inflation is going stuff. down. Right. So, you know, statistically he will survive it as a popularity 
president, he'll be in trouble for okay. a long time to come. It's bad news. It was clearly a mistake on his part. You know, like you said, there was no nefarious intent. And they called up <clears throat> the FBI themselves and said, hey, we got these documents. Come and get them. They followed protocol. Trump lied about it. He yeah. had his lawyers lie about it. He defied a subpoena for over a year when they were at Mar-a-Lago saying, we know you have documents. Give them to us. And they were like, no, we don't. Get out of here. You know? um, so, listen, man, always a pleasure catching up and paul i knew you'd like uh our, our visit with uh noel yeah. castler man thanks noel thank you paul great to meet you sorry i talk so much it's the coffee dude listen uh don't let's remind everyone uh the noel castler podcast is available where you get your podcast also uh some of his car rants are among my favorite and i was sort of trolling you this morning i hadn't seen that little story you talked about getting uh a, a guitar recommend from david lindley but go on noel's twitter feed now and go look that up it's a really cool story thank you thank my friend you appreciate it guys have a great week always a pleasure catching up my friend have you uh, approached anybody in this band to uh, come on the walrus was paul i have not be kind of cool um while we have a little break here before Dan's news, did you like that? That's cool, hey, that guy. Wow, what a uh, what a career! What a what a, a great bunch of stories to tell. You, no, we, I know. you were just dipping your your finger up into the pool, up to the first knuckle. Like lots lots to go there. Yeah, like it's it's crazy. Like, and he's so well now. He's more comfortable on the show. Um, but it took a few visits. We we started having him on. Pretty regularly, within a few times, and and then he would just say, "Oh, I'd worked on this show," and then I finally was like, "Oh yeah, this guy has worked on, like as, as he said, a road manager. He's worked on all these shows together uh, with all these stars." And it's like, "What?" Like, like every time he comes on, he has a new story. Like that Springsteen story at Carnegie Hall. Like that might be somebody's best story of their life, and that's just yeah. one story. <laughs> that's yeah. that's yeah. just one story that he has. What about what would your story be? From uh, the world that you occupied, where somebody came in and you were like, hey, this is pretty cool that I'm going to get to talk uh, to. It, it would have been early in my career when I was meeting, uh, I think you alluded to earlier to, you know, how you would react if Bobby Orr were to walk into the room. Right. Uh, it, it was uh, early when I was meeting the guys who I grew up watching. So, for example, uh, the first time I met Guy Lafleur, uh, the first time I met Jean Beliveau, mm-hmm. the first time I met any of those, uh, you know, Larry Robinson, uh, Guy Lapointe, Steve, all those guys from those great Montreal Canadiens teams. First time I met Daryl Sittler. Um, you know, those were the guys who were like, the first time I met Bobby Orr. And I was like, wow. The current stars, um, you know, really cool. And, and you consider yourself, oh, wow, it's neat. I stood and had a 20-minute conversation with Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, a lot of people would be, oh, my God. Uh, right. But to me, it was just that was a day in the office. Um, but so to answer your question, it was, yeah, it was the guys who you grew up as a kid watching, who you met for the first time, where you were really like, wow, Guy Lafleur, I can't believe it. I do one quick story, like a cool one. 
when I was hosting hockey, so before I started doing play-by-play, I studio-hosted some of the games on TSN. Jean Beliveau happened to be in TSN recording, doing something, and he wandered into the studio, and I was hosting a game that night. And so once I throw to the start of the game, I just sit and watch the game and work on my notes and prepare for the intermission, whatever my duties were going to be. Jean Beliveau comes walking in, and he says, oh, would you mind if I, if I, I think the Habs might have been playing, it was, would you mind if I sat and watched uh, the game with you? <laughs> so yeah. I, I sat yes, and I, I watched. Yeah, I, so I sat there and watched a couple periods of hockey with one of the greatest players in the history of the Montreal Canadiens, and we were just talking, oh, that was a good play there, and it just like two guys watching a game. So stuff wow. like that is, is more where I go, wow, that, that's pretty cool. I don't know if you had this experience. I, I brought it up yesterday because we were talking about the subject of people we've met and interviewed on the show, and somebody on our Facebook feed had asked us, you know, what was our favorite interview? And, and I brought up this thing that was very... Um, a big part of my life up until my father passed away, which was every once in a while, we would have somebody on the show and I would go, oh, I can't wait to tell my dad, you know, like, and I still have that experience every so often, but I know that we had Frank Sinatra Jr. on the show and I would be like, oh man, my dad would be so thrilled that I met this guy. And, and any number, like my dad wouldn't have known who Dave Grohl was, but he certainly would have known who Robert Duval was. And so we had talked about, well, the story yesterday was that we had Robert Duval on the show and he invited us to lunch, but I didn't go because I was going golfing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it came up because uh, I was watching The Godfather over uh, Christmas. Oh, by the way, just a quick uh, detour. There's a series on Paramount that I've been touting for a, uh, almost a year called The Offer. And if you're a Godfather fan, it's a fictional telling of how The Godfather got made and all the back. It was really, it's amazing. So there I am watching The Godfather and there's, you know, Robert Duval and I'm like, you idiot. Really? You couldn't, go on, you couldn't have gone golfing? Anyway, that would be, for me, uh, a tr- I would want to tell my father. Did you have any of those moments? Um, well, sadly, no. Uh, both my parents died very young, uh, and uh, they died before I really achieved a lot of career success. And uh, that's a, a great regret because, yeah, uh, there's every child wants to please their parents. Sure. And I would have loved nothing more than to have, you know, say, hey, Dad, you know, I met Bobby Orr. Dad, I met Guy Lafleur. But uh, no, I didn't. So, th- yeah, there were many like that. Another one was for sure um, not hockey related uh, when I was doing a, an ill-fated morning show. Yeah, we'll talk. Uh, By the way, we're going to talk about the team years tomorrow. So I'm going to give you a little time to prepare. Uh, uh, well, then I'll just because I know, I know Dan's. <laughs> Oh, no, no, Dan, Dan, Dan's fine. He's good for a couple more minutes. But uh, Tony Bennett, uh, Tony Bennett was yeah. in to do, uh, he was in to do a morning. He didn't come in to do a morning hit with us. Uh, he came in to do a morning hit on Chum FM, uh, which was a big, big morning radio show at the time. And uh, he, we were in the same studio and he wandered down the hall afterwards uh, the, you know, I think the, the, the producer had gone down and said, hey, do you think he could come? And he comes in bloody Tony Bennett, <laughs> like the legend, com- comes walking in, goes, hi, guys, want to talk some sports? And just how you'd imagine Tony Aww. Bennett. And he sat down, and we talked to him for about 15 minutes. Isn't that, that sweet, was, man? Uh, I mean, Tony freaking Bennett. I dig it, man. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, you know, and because of this job and the world of golf, I've been in some strange situations with, you know, pretty famous people. I got to know Alex Lifeson because of golf and a few other people that I'm 
you know, associate Tom Cochran and I are buddies because of golf, but I was hosting a, um, actually Fred and I were both on this club link trip and, um, Yvonne Cornwaye was one of the club link ambassadors at the time. And so this first year, uh, Fred and I were there with, was, were there with Yvonne in Florida. This was like, uh, you know, four or five years ago. And that was when his very good friend Beliveau passed away. And so Yvonne leaves the trip to go back for Beliveau's funeral. The following year, I'm back on this trip again, and it's me, and it's Wendell Clark, and Yvonne Cornwaye. Anyway, we spent three or four days with a bunch of listeners or, or um, Club Link uh, members, and and then we're heading to the airport, all all of us in a van. And uh, we're a couple hours early, and Yvonne, and they the guys we're with say, hey, we're going to stop at this mall, and we want to pick up a couple things on the way to the airport. And did you guys, and so Yvonne and I are like, we, well, we don't really want to I don't really know him at this point, but he's seen me around. We don't want to do any shopping. He says to me, see, do you want to go get a tea? <laughs> I said, sure. So we go. He and I'm walking through the mall. And by the way, in Florida, all these people, all these Hab fans are freaking out, seeing that it's Yvonne Cornway and some Larry David looking dude. <laughs> and uh, my, this is, I'm getting this part. So he, we stop. The only place we can find that has tea that he, that he wants, like a, an herbal tea, is muffins. <laughs> so... <laughs> And, and so we go, we go to the lineup and I've got a tea and we both get a muffin and we sit there and uh, he gets up to go to the washroom and I text my girlfriend at the time. I said, you're not going to believe it. I'm at a muffins <laughs> with, with Yvonne Cornwy fucking a like it was just so bizarre. And, and as you just said, so many people would be so like over the moon to have a few minutes to hang out with this guy. And here I am like having a carrot muffin with him. I just remember it being so bizarre. Um, anyways, the, the time is flying by. Dan Duran is back. Hello, Daniel. Hey, bye. I'm back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to uh, Dan's news, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Aaron Ventures, an emerging international junior mining and exploration company engaged in the acquisition, exploration, and development of resource properties. Aaron Ventures' strategy is to uncover and capitalize on unique development opportunities within Canada. We're talking boron, everybody, and various regions internationally. Get your people, get the retirement Sherpa, get somebody to check out this company. Their objective is to increase their mineral reserves by developing current properties throughout the acquisition and uh, of additional mining properties. Uh, once again, I... Uh, I tell you to go to AaronVentures.com. And uh, another thing you'd like to know is, uh, speaking of the retirement Sherpa. Tip. The retirement there Sherpa. Tim Niblett is a portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. If you have a portfolio and you'd like someone to have a second look, because maybe you don't think it's performing as well as it should, Tim is your guy. No strings attached. No obligation. Tim will have a look and give you the straight goods. He's the retirement Sherpa. He's licensed on both sides of the border, so it doesn't matter where you are. Tim can have a look. Retirement Sherpa. Retirement Sherpa. Now, here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential anchor man. His voice is nice and low. Huh. Dan Duran, the anchor man, comes as for credentials he has none. Can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchor man's here. He's prone to falling off his chair, but he's got a big wang, so he don't care, and his voice is nice and low. My voice is nice and low. And now, live from the kitchen, just one floor above me, uh, with news and views, 
Brought to you by EVNet. EVNet.ca. Go check out that experience, which is very unique when it comes to electric vehicles. I'll tell you about more about that tomorrow. In the meantime, here's Dan Duran. Dan Duran. Now smoking. Yes, now that the Republicans run the House of the U.S., one of the first things they did was rip down the no smoking signs in the buildings that the House controls. So really? even though Washington, D.C. banned smoking indoors, the dorks in charge just don't care. Uh, one of the examples is uh, the incoming House Rules Committee Chairman Tom Cole. His office is not too far from the House floor, always exuding a stench of cigars right now. Driving the uh, press corps so, crazy. So, so this is what they, when they said uh, a couple of weeks ago when they were electing that douche McCarthy as speaker, when they said, we want to get down to the business of America. This is what they were talking about? This is it. Fuck on the lips. They got on right on it. What's that, buddy? On the libs. Oh, yeah, exactly. So they're going to allow smoking inside the building, even though it's illegal. This is what the American people were hoping for. So that they could go to the House of Representatives and smoke a cigar. Uh, by the way, do you guys understand? I haven't even talked about this with uh, Freddie yesterday. I forgot. Do you understand why they're all excited about gas stoves all of a sudden? What the fuck is that? Oh, I do. What is that? Well, there's, there's some health concerns about uh, the off-gassing of, of, uh, of stoves and pro- proper ventilation is, is required. I think that there's also a certain amount of greenhouse gas uh, with that. But some FDA guy made some comment that they're considering... Whether or not they should ban or or, or uh, recommend a new building. oh I see and in so in fact that's already happening so there's a logical yeah. reason to get rid of them but of course the uh, Republicans are just against it you'll take the gas stoves from my cold dead hands <laughs> yeah nobody, nobody's going to be invading a home for the gas Jesus. stove but I think but they are talking about it in new uh, house new building installs apartment buildings and stuff they they uh, are in, like I think in New York State or something they've they've it, banned it, the use or New York City they don't want them in in the buildings anymore can, can it can I, you were you're right and this will be something will be gone but 25 you know how there's always something that we look back on now and go oh my god i can't believe they bled people to try to make them better they will look back in 50 or and go can you believe they burned open flame methane gas in their houses no, oh, yeah. walked around. People will look back and go, "Can you believe they did that?" That's I, that's my prediction. So no, and you're probably right. Like there, there's a, a good reason to not have gas stoves. You know, by this, for, you know, the, forget the fact that a, a lot of real chefs, and I'm not one of them, but having had one in my life, it, a lot of people like cooking with them. But I think we can all get over it. But I just find it so amusing that this is another thing. That the Republican parties are like, oh, this is what the business of America is. We must make sure we can always have a gas stove. Um, Dan Duran, you do. You told me before the show you have a second story, so I'll give you your second story music. And now with his second story, with more news and views, here's Dan Duran. Simple foods may slow Alzheimer's by a third, which is a phenomenal amount. Some uh, new research coming out of Rush University in Chicago. A long time, a long running, detailed study of nearly a thousand old people uh, found that eating uh, foods with flavanols were less likely to get dementia. Flavanols. Flavanols, right (laughs) there. Get your flavanol up. Uh, so they uh, associate with as much as a 32% reduction in the rate of cognitive, cognitive decline. Uh, they're wary of claiming causation until they can see the process, but uh, all they, they can't prove it. There's some foods that do seem to slow the decline. Those who ate a lot of them, much slower decline. Um, and the list is something like apples. You've got uh, 
broccoli in there. What, not to eat or to eat? No, to eat. Yeah. Oh, okay. Find your flavonols. Um, you know, Find there was a, my mother, as you know, Dan, uh, passed away from early onset Alzheimer's. And at the time, there was a, this was, uh, well, I, I was going to say, you said, Paul, your parents passed away early. Mine, my mother passed away. I was 34. My dad passed away. When I was 46. Um, how old were you when your parents passed away? Um, I was 23 when my mother passed away, and I was 28 when my dad passed away. So very young. And, and yeah. you know, uh, at the time when my mom uh, died, there was all this research. This would have been in the early 90s about how uh, certain pans, tef- was it, what was it, Dan? Was it like nonstick? Something, there was some stick that, that people had some pan yeah, surface pans, yeah. that they said con- yeah, yeah. Contrib- contributed to Alzheimer's. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, I, that, that's one of those things where when, you, when it's in your family, you just hope that these researchers get there quicker. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> come on, researchers. Let's get, get on it. this. Let's leave gas yeah. stoves aside for a bit. Let's get what else do I need to eat? <laughs> that's the problem with so maybe guess, with getting Alzheimer's is, you know, you're supposed to eat these things, but you forget what they are. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking tea, by the way, at muffins might mm. uh, might be good for you as well. There's this flavonol in tea and there's kale and uh, tomatoes. So put that in your uh, in your blender and dude, I am I'm all over that stuff. I made uh, I made a smoothie this morning for me and my buddy Dan. Made a beautiful yeah. smoothie with some spinach and some frozen uh, berries and some fresh strawberries and some yogurt and some uh, you know collagen powder and some other shit in there. It was very good. Um, Paul, uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, your career as a runner. And uh, so because I was when I talked to you yesterday, I said I'm just going in or just coming in from my run. You've been doing that a long time. Talk about, you know, keeping yourself in shape. I want to talk about some of the other things that Paul does to stay. Look at him. Look, he looks like he's a a baby. Um, Plus, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Dan and I are are very good friends with Jeff Lumbee and, and both visit him last fall. Just the idea of moving to London, England for 10 years and. Just talk about what it's like being an expat there and some other things. Uh, tomorrow on the show as well, uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head who our guest is. Ben Murgy. Ben Murgy. That's right. I told you that Was yesterday. Was Ben Murgy coming up? Yeah. Ralph will be, uh, Rabbi Ralph will be with us tomorrow. Uh, always a great conversation. We'll, uh, of course, uh, go down the religious road with him because... Uh, He's, uh, it's fascinating to talk the different difference between made up uh, sky muppets and uh, spirituality. Um, anyhow, uh, thanks very much to Noel Kassler and especially thank you to uh, Paul Romanuk. Uh, we've mentioned your podcast is called The Walrus Was Paul and is available wherever uh, podcasts are released. Wherever podcasts are sold, and you can follow me on Twitter or Insta at Romanuk Paul. All right. And uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, we will see you all tomorrow, and uh, safe travels, Freddie P. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, Air Adventures, and EVNet.ca. We read all of our emails, Humble and Fred at HumbleandFredRadio.com, liking and subscribing. And giving us five stars really helps us out. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, the guy using Metamucil as a recreational drug is, is now shitting in the Dominican. Enjoy every goddamn day. There's a
destination A little up the road from the habitations of the towns we know A place we saw the lights turn low The jigsaw jazz and the get fresh flow Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts Two turntables and a microphone Bottles and cans and just clap your hands Or just clap your hands 